Welcome to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. Find out what you need to know about preparedness, get all the latest tips from experts in the field, and learn what to do before the next disaster strikes. From the emergency management department in the city that never sleeps, here are your hosts, Omar Bourne and Allison Panisi. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'm Omar Bourne. And I'm Christina Farrell. And you are our listeners, and we thank you for joining us. We want you to come back as often as you can, so feel free to add Prep Talk to your favorite RSS feed. You can also follow us on social media, on our Twitter, at NYCEmergencyMGT, our Facebook, or Instagram. On this episode of Prep Talk, we are discussing immigrant awareness. This week is Immigrant Heritage Week here in New York City. Each year, New Yorkers hold a week-long celebration of our diversity and immigrant heritage. We are going to talk to New York State Assembly member Yulene New and Pedro Garcia, manager for staff development and training and English as a second language at the Tenement Museum, which focuses on America's urban immigrant heritage. That's right, Christina. But before we dive in, it is time to give our listeners the latest hot topics in the emergency management field. Here's your Prep Talk Situation Report. This is the Situation Report. Let's get started. Our first story comes from New York City and the de Blasio administration. Uh, Mayor de Blasio declared a public health emergency in select areas in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, following a measles outbreak affecting the Orthodox Jewish community. As part of the declaration... Unvaccinated individuals will be required to receive the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. Now, under the mandatory vaccinations, members of the city's health department will check the vaccination records of any individual who may have been in contact with infected patients. Those who have not received the MMR vaccine or do not have evidence of immunity may be given a violation and could be fined $1,000. Now, the majority of cases in New York City are children under the age of 18, most of who were unvaccinated or incompletely vaccinated. To date, 285 cases have been confirmed in New York City since the beginning of the outbreak back in October of 2018, with many of these new cases confirmed in the last two months. This in comparison to 465 individual cases in 19 states across the U.S. Now, this is the second largest number of cases recorded in the U.S. since measles was eliminated in 2000. Measles, as we know, is a highly contagious disease and can cause severe complications such as pneumonia, swelling of the brain, and death. Measles is easily preventable with the MMR vaccine. And Christina, as you know, we had Dr. D from the city's health department on a few episodes ago to talk about the measles. Uh, And he's also been at the forefront of uh, working with the health department uh, on the outbreak here in the city. So I encourage our listeners, go take a listen to that episode. Lots of great information in there for you. Definitely. And also for up-to-date information on this outbreak, where uh, vaccination may be available and other information, uh, you can visit nyc.gov or call 311 uh, and people from the health department can give you all the information, whether you happen to be in Williamsburg or anywhere across the city. We want to make sure that everybody has accurate 
and uh, truthful information, and they're ready to learn more about the vaccine if if they need to to keep their family safe. That's correct. Uh, the next item comes from New York State. A state audit finds that the education department in the state and some school districts failed to file and update emergency plans as required under a law designed to make schools safer from mass shootings. The state comptroller, Thomas DiNapoli, says the audit found many schools visited by his team couldn't show that they had adopted annual safety plans or shared them with local law enforcement. The state education department has replied and said it is improving its practices, according to a letter it sent to auditors. The department also says certain criticisms go beyond its obligation under this law and would require additional resources for the department to provide oversight over schools in this regard. The state education department recently received a five-year school emergency management grant from the U.S. Department of Education that will be used in part to hire a full-time person to improve emergency response planning, according to the state controller. And I will say in New York City, we have many, many schools. Uh, We work very closely with the Department of Education with our liaison Mm -hmm. and his team. And we send many of our staff out, including our superhero, Ready Girl, to talk about all kinds of emergencies, including... Uh, mass shootings, which is obviously of the utmost importance when you're talking about keeping schools safe. That is right, Christina. Thank you very much for that story. Our last story is going to come from AccuWeather. And after an active Atlantic hurricane season in 2018, AccuWeather forecasters are predicting 2019 to result in a near to slightly above normal season with 12 to 14 storms. Now, of those storms, five to seven are forecast to become hurricanes, and two to four are forecast to become major hurricanes. Uh, Check this out. For AccuWeather to help predict the upcoming season, their forecasters have drawn comparisons to previous years with comparable weather conditions, also known as analog years. Now, the Atlantic hurricane season officially begins June 1st. And we're going to look forward to preparing for the season here in New York City and across the Atlantic. Definitely. We will definitely have podcasts coming up talking about hurricanes and coastal storms so people can look forward to listening to those. And that is the Situation Report. Before we jump into today's show, here's a public service announcement from New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. When is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When hurricane winds are gusting? When floodwaters reach your door? Or a blizzard blocks all the roads? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Make your emergency plan today. Go to nyc.gov slash readyny or call 311. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. You're listening to Prep Talk, the emergency management podcast. You are listening to Prep Talk, and we are back. I want to introduce New York State Assembly member Yulene New and Pedro Garcia from the Tenement Museum. I thank you both for joining the show. Assembly member, let us begin with you. What district do you represent, and how did you get into politics? So I represent the 65th district, and that, of course, includes Chinatown, the Lower East Side, South Street Seaport. Battery Park City and the Financial District. Um, you know, what got me into politics 
It's actually quite a long story, um, but I've actually started working on the state level since I was an intern um, in college. And so uh, I worked in the Washington state legislature, actually, as an intern um, in Olympia, Washington. And I really uh, wanted to see how uh, government worked because, you know, growing up as an immigrant, um, I saw a lot of different things that affected uh, my own family, affected other immigrant families, and um, and a lot of times we saw a lot of things that were unjust or unfair or um, or sometimes um, just just purely based off of um, language access that mm. were uh, completely neglected. And so um, you know when my parents uh, went through some things, I just felt so frustrated. And th- that those little frustrations and those microaggressions they just start to build over time. Mm. And I felt like you know I need to know how government works in order to go run a muck and change it. You know, I really <laughs> wanted to go and, and, um, and, and see what it was that, um, that made it tick because I felt like, you know, government is always this thing that a lot of people don't realize that they can actually access, you right. know? And, and so for me anyway, I really wanted to make sure mm-hmm. that I was able to actually um, clearly see it from a bird's eye view. So I took an internship with the Washington State Legislature and I really got to see that Accessing government, it, there is no big secret. Right. <laughs> There's literally no big secret. It's going and just knocking on a door and asking to be heard. And I think that that was one of the biggest things that I needed to let everybody else know. Like my community is one that isn't very represented in our state government. Um, obviously, uh, I'm the only Asian American woman up in the entire New York State Legislature, and um, and and being an immigrant, uh, you know, really does shape my view. And I think that uh, a lot of times. Um, you know, those are the things that drive us to go and make sure that everybody has a voice. And so the reason why I'm here is obviously because I want to make sure that my community, all of my community has a voice. And we appreciate your voice and, and what you're doing in your community. Uh, Pedro, I want to get to you. Thank you for being on the show. Now, can you share a little about your role as manager for staff development and training and for English as a second language at the Tenement Museum. What does that entail? Thank you for having me. Um, at the Tenement Museum, I have several duties, uh, training the staff to lead tours and the programs that we offer to the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a large number of programs at the Tenement Museum. And, and the only way to get inside the museum is by a guided tour. Our main role is to train what we call educators, what you might say as tour guides, right. to visit these two tenements that have been in the Lower East Side for over 150 years and learn about the stories of either immigrants, migrants, or refugees, people, real people that occupied those tenements, that lived in those tenements a long time ago and up to actually recently. We interpret those stories because we feel like we want to tell this uniquely American story, the story of uh, many of these people that were here as newcomers. Right. Sounds like that's a fascinating story to tell. It's fascinating. It is. This mm-hmm. morning, we had groups that came in that were newly arrived immigrants. Uh, my one big role that I have is to manage the ESL program at the museum right? called Shared Journeys. And through Shared Journeys, uh, ESL classes all around the city get to come to the museum for free and take part in the workshops, learn about the stories of the past, and connect to their own stories. Amazing. And we're going to get to that a little later because I want to ask you a little more about the ESL program, English as a Second Language, uh, for our listeners uh, and, and kind of how that impacts immigrants uh, and people who come into the city. So we're going to get to that. Uh, assembly member, uh, you mentioned you're an immigrant. 
You were born in Taiwan. Uh, you worked in Washington State. Now, how has your experience living in these diverse places shaped your policies? Uh, you mentioned a little bit about the language access uh, for immigrants and you know other services for seniors. So, um, I, I mean, you know, obviously, I, I lived in a lot of places. I lived in places like Idaho, Texas, Oregon, Washington, and I think that you know one of the things that might be um, you said diverse places, but might be sick, sticking out is that many of these places were not that diverse. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that was what really shaped my experience right. um, and why I feel like it's so important that there is language access and why I feel like it's so important that there is, um, you know, access to uh, help, especially for folks who are, um, you know, having trouble with language or um, having uh, having to make sure that they're acclimated. And, like, um, I think that this is something that is uh, – very key, actually, with um, the shaping of policy, because we always have to be asking a lot of questions on whether or not, um, you know, all the different layers in policy are actually answered whenever we're making a particular solution to any kind of problem. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have um, a lot of uh, programs like um, ALE here in New York, right? Adult mm -hmm. language um, uh, literacy, right? So, like, I think that um, it's so key to making sure that we actually have, um, you know, these folks coming in and able to actually have access to um, this adult language uh, education because folks are coming in with knowledge, um, background of, you know, professional uh, development that, you know, the only thing that is a barrier to them is having mm -hmm. fluent English. That's you right. Know? And I think that um, having those programs really actually helps our economy, helps our community, helps us to become more whole. And like, you know, those are the things that we need to be doing. We need to make sure that our seniors are taken care of um, when, you know, so many folks, they don't even realize that they have access to so many different programs. And it's due to a language barrier because right. nobody told them and they didn't understand when somebody was trying to tell them. You know, and I think that that's something that is so uh, key because if we're, if they're not even applying for social services or like certain things, then then it makes it so that they're not counted as well. Like mm -hmm. this is also the issue, like say, for example, with the census. Um, so we have to make sure, for example, in 2020, when the census comes out, that we actually have um, our, our groups funded enough to be able to give that access, right? Because um, these are the things that are so key. And, and all of that is because I've seen communities completely left out, um, you know, in the, in the times that I've been moving around all over this uh, nation. So, Pedro, what does immigration mean to you and to your experience? I think that uh, for me, it, it makes my world go round. Uh, I was born in Venezuela, and a lot of my family came from Peru, and I came to the United States as a little boy. I've been able to learn a lot about immigration through the museum. We have a partnership with CUNY Citizenship Now, and CUNY Citizenship Now, for example, sends somebody over to the museum to help people with immigration documents. Share Journeys is a program that helps immigrants of today by understanding the past and help them connect to their own stories and struggles. Uh, so I feel like it's all around me in my, my life, work and personal. And assembly member, I know you spoke about uh, language access. Uh, Christina, and you know this, we recently worked uh, at a six alarm fire, a major fire yes. uh, in Sunset Park, We're Brooklyn. And, still and we're, still, we're still there. Uh, Thank you for your work on that. No problem. That's, that's what we're here for. And one of the issues that came up was language access. And so we were able to provide 
you know, resources and translators in Spanish, Fukunese, Mandarin, Polish even. Uh, and it really is a testament to um, understanding the community uh, and understanding the needs of people and then not only understanding it, but being able to provide the resources for that. And Pedro, you're doing a really good job with the ESL program uh, at the Tenement Museum. So speak a little to uh, the people who come through the program, how they are at the beginning and then as they learn English, the confidence that that might give them. Great. Uh, a lot of ESL programs all around the city have a curriculum built, mm -hmm. which deals with a lot of issues that you're mentioning. Um, healthcare, housing, language access, education, jobs. We then decided that our workshops should be tailored around those topics. Right. An existing ESL class can come from Hendrichy Settlement, the University Settlement House, one of the CUNY sites, and they're building their skills in English, but they're also having a theme around it. So when they come to our workshops, one workshop, for example, they can learn about how immigrants uh, died at a high rate because they lived in tenements in the 1860s and 1870s. At the end of the workshop, we could have them connect. Do you know how to access healthcare? Here's a handout from the mayor's office that tells you about public places that you can go to if you ever need help. And we give that to them at the end of the workshop. Right. You learn something, you connect, but here's more that you could also uh, get help with. And at the end of every workshop, we give them a handout on what Citizenship Now does as well, which is also through CUNY. And we're able to make all of those connections to try to help them, to make it worthwhile to come to the museum, that they're getting a lot of information and walking away with a good experience. Wonderful. Well, and one thing that we really believe in in emergency management, and I would say across all city agencies, is meeting people where they are. Um, so, you know, we go out about 900 times a year. I know we've done things with you in your district. Uh, you know, we're planning an event at the Tenement Museum, and we work to, um, you know, give presentations on emergency preparedness. Um, there are a fair amount of emergencies in your district, Lower Manhattan, Lower yes. East Side, Chinatown. Obviously, there are a lot of conditions being coastal, um, you know, the population density uh, that, that come up. And, uh, you know, we want people to be prepared. And as people learn English, we've actually done a whole um, video and curriculum around teaching uh, people uh, as they learn English how to become prepared. But while they're on that process or while they're learning from their kids uh, who may speak English, we also do a lot of presentations in different languages, yeah. um, you know, so people don't miss out if their English isn't, isn't fluent yet. Um, and one thing that the city has going on is starting July 1st, we will be sending out our Notify NYC messages. Uh, right now, go out in English, and they do have some language capability, but we don't have a way for people to sign up in a specific language and then get the real-time messages in that language. That's going to be happening in July. We're really excited about that. We're definitely going to uh, talk to you and all your colleagues, to our partners in the nonprofit and education field to get, because these messages will not help anyone if nobody signs up, That's right? right. Uh, right. And, you know, that can be a challenge, like you said, getting information into communities, communities that may also have um, different experiences with their governments from their native country, may not feel always um, comfortable, you know, coming in. Um, so we're really excited about what we're doing for Notify, and we feel like this is a big step. Um, and, you know, uh, if both of you would just talk for a minute about emergency notifications, making sure we can get them out in languages. I know, you know, I see your tweets and uh, 
and the interpretation work you've done on your job, but, um, you know, just how that's important and how we can all work on that together. Um, I guess I'll just start if you guys don't mind. But yeah. um, one of the biggest things for me, I, I first off, I want to thank you guys because um, there's been so many times that we've worked together. And yes, our lang- our, our office did um, provide a lot of the language access. But I think that it's also the willingness of OEM being willing to actually work with our office to be able to make that a possibility because there is that um, access and that trust and that um, community building that needs to be done. Um, and, um, you know, for folks that don't know, in, in lower Manhattan, we've had to deal with so many big issues. I mean, 9-11 happened in my district and it's still happening. I mean, this is something that we continue to work on because, I mean, the half-life of asbestos is literally 16 years and, mm-hmm. and that's now. And so I think that there's th- those issues um, mm-hmm. that constantly come up that OEM has actually really helped us uh, in our community on, on that. And then, of course, Hurricane Sandy, Hurricane Irene, these are all things that hit our district particularly hard. And, um, you know, OEM doesn't just do these huge catastrophic events, but also um, 85 Bowery. Um, so when folks were vacated from their apartments, you know, OEM was there to help to step in. And every single request that I was asking for, just um, it was it was answered. And, and you know, having Notify, having the ability to be able to communicate then later on with uh, the folks who were vacated. And I just think that that was that was so such a big deal because I think that when it came to different services and different uh, organizations, they weren't communicating the same way. And other agencies had have have yet to kind of get to where OEM is on language access. And I, I really, really, really hope that they do because it, it was such a huge difference because um, when, when folks were vacated, they were worried that they were never going to get to go home. They were worried that, you know, they didn't uh, have access to resources. They just came home from work. And all of a sudden, all our stuff had to be on the sidewalk, right. you know, and that was so crazy. And um, nobody was explaining to them what was going on except us and OEM. And, and I think that that was really, um, really crucial that the language access was there. So I really just wanted to commend you guys for the work that you're doing. And I also wanted to say that, um, you know, just how important I want to emphasize how important it is that we're able to make it so that people have access to our services. Yeah, I mean, language makes the world go around. And if if we can communicate, you know, what better way for us to understand each other? And so that's why it's important uh, for us as a city to be able to provide these resources so that we can build relationships uh, with our immigrant communities and then get to understand them a little better. Pedro? Definitely. I have understood our location as very important. We are in an area where there's a lot of people that are underserved. And we want them to come to our programs and we want to do programs with them. I was really excited when Kevin approached me about doing this event. This is an opportunity for us to tell the underserved community around us, come and we provide you things that could really help you. Uh, So I hope that this event is not the last event or the only event that we do together. We'd like to see more and more events because I felt that there needs to be that connection between the people around us and the museum. The museum tells the stories of people that were not uh, inventors or big war heroes. These were ordinary folks that we talk about. So it makes a lot of sense for us to then have ordinary folks around the neighborhood with little means to come and visit the museum and learn about these stories. And then if you guys come and provide them with information, even better. Uh, because when I was dealing with this event and planning it, I wanted more resources too. So I kept nagging Kevin about like, <laughs> what about a handout on healthcare? What about a handout right. on housing? 
can you give me just a one sheet so I could give them at the end of every workshop? And mm-hmm. we do over 150 ESL workshops. So there's an opportunity there. We average around 2,000 students that come through the museum through just sure journeys. Wow. That could be ideal for me that I could give at the end of every workshop because it's so thematically, here's something that you could have that you could use now. Say you have a housing issue, say right. you have a healthcare issue, say you need a place where to go to to turn for help when you're in dire need. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned ESL, you mentioned shared journeys. Uh, what other programs or resources do you have in place at the Tenement Museum uh, for Immigrants? Well, the, the organization CUNY Citizenship Now approached us mm-hmm. uh, about seven years ago. And their work has been really about holding events, large events to have community members come and and get information about filling out the immigration paperwork. Right. What they started to do is pick sites where they could have direct help, where a a trained lawyer can be at a site and confidentially help people one-on-one because immigration paperwork, you can't just do it in a big forum. People need a little more focus. And they asked us and they partnered with us. And for the last six, seven years, we've had uh, somebody on site mm-hmm. that we create appointments for them and people from the community come and meet with this person. Uh, we've had different lawyers, but uh, they all are very helpful. The great thing also is that I always emphasize with them, whenever you send somebody over to meet with the people, uh, please provide them with plenty of language needs. Right. So we've had lawyers that can do Mandarin and Cantonese, and we have lawyers that can do Spanish. Because I know around the neighborhood, there are those communities that desperately need that help. So every Friday, uh, there are services at the Tenant Museum. You just have to call and make an appointment. Wonderful. And this is one of the, I think this is one of the things that we find so interesting and so rewarding with emergency management is that really there's no, not one entity in the city that we can't find a way to partner with. You know, elected officials obviously is a no brainer and, you know, working and, but we got to know you before 85 Bowery. And before other, you know, things like that have happened. So when we can send you information, when you can contact us, we already know each other. Um, you know, we know what we can offer and and that. And then, you know, likewise, we've worked with a lot of different museums. There's a children's museum in Staten Island. There are some larger Manhattan, Manhattan museums a little north of you that we've done events with. Um, but, you know, like the education piece and the history piece, because so much of history is connected around disasters and you know, there's people immigrate, right, because of different disasters and things. And uh, last month, we had some people in talking about the private sector and how we can work with them. Um, you know, and, and the Lower East Side and in your area in general has such great partnerships, probably because there have been so many emergencies. And there is such great need that the tenement houses and the different groups, we've really been able uh, to pull that that group together. So, um you know, we really appreciate the partnerships of, of both of you and, and really all are. And if you have other ideas of people that we haven't mentioned <laughs> that we could work with in your community, uh, you know, invite them in because we, we always want to find that, that new way to get to people and, and to really meet them where they are. So we always you. have ideas. <laughs> <laughs> when I first heard about the name of the department, I started to think about there's a tour that we took about uh, epidemics that happen at the, in the Lower East Side and in general in the country. Mm-hmm. And I thought that you guys wanted to talk about that, <laughs> the tour that talks about those issues, because in thinking about emergency services, like the flu epidemic in 1918, you guys would have been right in it, right. helping people. And at the same museum, we talk about that through the story of the people that were affected by the flu, people that died in the building because of the flu. Uh, so I was thinking about that first when you guys approached me, but 
I think that what we're doing next week on the 17th is also uh, a great match as well. And I think we could do more and we could continue to do more, definitely. Well, like you said, this doesn't have to be a one time. We can, uh, we can hold epidemics till the next. <laughs> <laughs> Our work is never done. <laughs> one of the things that stood out, Pedro, that you said is that this is about the museum is about ordinary people. And what better way to learn about ordinary people than to have ordinary people come? And that's what emergency management is about. At the end of the day, we're all people and we all uh, have different needs. um, But we, at the same time, have different experiences from our backgrounds. But what ties us together is that we're people and that common knowledge and common love for people is what ties different races or what should tie different races races together and so i've never been to the tenement museum but i definitely want to go and visit just to learn more um and i think that's something that all of our listeners if you're in new york city should definitely check out when you're here and then if you are an emergency manager in another uh, part of the country, get to know your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Get to know the people who are living around you, uh, whether or not they're from where you're from or from a different place. There's so much more that we have in common than we do apart. And it's great if we can get to know one another. Definitely. You're all invited to come and I could give you guys a tour and show you the exhibitions and Kevin got to see the program Share Journeys. Well, I always forget to do this, but um, Share Journeys is free because of the museum's work. Mm-hmm. So those 2000 students that I mentioned, uh, the museum makes does a lot of, takes a lot of effort to provide those services for free. Uh, the lawyer immigration services on Fridays, those are also for free, uh, which is why I think that uh, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Pedro, don't tell us to come because we'll bring the whole we'll bring the whole agency. <laughs> Let's do it. And everybody's welcome for dumplings down in uh, Chinatown. A whole cultural tour. Yes. Yeah, there yes. you go. And my office awesome. is at 64 Fulton, so you guys can always come and stop. It could by. be a combination tour: tenements and dumplings. We love yes. field trips here at Emergency Management. We definitely do. If you don't know, now you know. You're listening to Prep Talk, the Emergency Management Podcast. It's now rapid response time. And if you're a first-time listener, the rules are simple. Omar and I will ask our guests a few questions, and they'll give us the first answer that comes to mind. Let's get into it. It's time for Prep Talk Rapid Response. Okay, Assembly Member... I'm going to start with you for this one. What is the one emergency item that you cannot live without? Flashlight. Flashlight. I love it. It's very important. Make sure you have your batteries with you as well. Gotta see. <laughs> Pedro, what about you? The one emergency item you cannot live without? Um, peroxide. Interesting. All right. Everything's going to be clean. That's the first one. That's the first. Germs bother me. Yeah? High five? There you go. I got a high five. (laughs) Uh, We'll start with Pedro on this. What is your favorite TV show or movie? Right now, I'm into Titans on the DC Universe app. Mm. All right. Going digital. 
Can I do both? Yeah. My, sure. my favorite TV show of all time is The X Files. Okay. And my favorite movie of all time is The Fifth Element. Mmm. Sounds like a little theme there. My favorite movie of all time, A League of Their Own. Okay. Uh, all good. All good movies. Uh, Dana Scully. Yes. Fox mm, Mulder. Mul yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, so have you watched the new episodes? Because I feel like they brought back X Files maybe a totally couple Totally watched them. Yeah. The minute they came out, <laughs> I was waiting for years. I watched the X Files as a kid, and um, I I will admit that I used to get scared a little bit, but you know, it was cool. I, I could still sleep at night. So, <laughs> um, uh, let's switch gears a little bit to music. What is currently on your playlist, Assembly Member? I'm going to start with you, Sade. Ooh, okay. Shade is good. Um, not gonna ask you to sing, but if you feel incl so inclined <laughs> to do so, sing. that's no, the one rule Omar doesn't sing. If you guys really want to hear me sing, I, sometimes I go to Winnie's on East Broadway. Just saying, okay. some karaoke nights, my friends. Added on to our cultural tour. <laughs> that's where I used to bartend. I'm all for karaoke, so might have to take you up on that. Pedro, what about you? Currently on your playlist? Well, I grew up in the Bronx, mm -hmm. so hip hop is all day around. All day, all around. What's your favorite hip hop hip hop artist? My favorite hip hop artist. I know he's dead for a long time, but Biggie. Big, yeah, you can't go wrong, Biggie. Hey, yeah, notorious. Yeah. <laughs> it was all a dream. I used to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to get started. <laughs> it's lit up in here. Ah, <laughs> uh, Christina, any uh. Any favorite Biggie memories? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pick on Christina. I'm the old lady in the room. <laughs> um, all right, we'll get into food. I, I'm on solid ground with food. Uh, we'll start with Pedro. What's your favorite meal? I eat a lot. <laughs> That's a good oh. thing. We all, I eat a lot as well. Yeah. We, like food. we are uh, in the Lower East Side, my friend. We have everything to choose from. That's why we eat everything. <laughs> he has spoiled me. I know, right? He really has spoiled me. <laughs> Like, when it comes to Chinese food, I can't have it anywhere else. Right. I, I, I came to this epiphany a few weeks ago with a friend of mine during lunch. I sat down to eat from our favorite Chinese place down on Grand Street. And then I started to think, I ordered Chinese the other day and it wasn't good. But when I get in the Lower East High... It's just great. I've been spoiled. <laughs> so I would say, you know, the... The roast pork fried pig dish. They just they just get me on Grand Street. <laughs> Everyone in the room. So, so for our listeners, we have about eight people in the room, maybe. And six out of the eight people are shaking their heads. Yes. <laughs> so, seems to be a good dish. How about you, assembly member? I am always for the hot pot, man. I love hot pot. You can eat it how like with all different kinds of ingredients. Whatever you feel like doing, it's what you do. You know, hot pot is the jam. It goes for anybody. You, if you have dietary restrictions, if you don't have dietary restrictions, you get to make your own. The best. So, so forgive me for asking the question. Yes, I, I already see. So Bushra is here for our listeners. You Bushra, don't know what hot who, pot is. I don't know what <gasps> hot pot is. So that's why I'm you can't even glean from the title. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. The entire room is shocked, but 
Oh man, we don't lie to Omar at we're, we're gonna be taking you to the Lower East Side, right, Pedro? We're gonna be taking Omar to the Lower East Side. I think we gotta take this serious. This tour this of the Lower serious. East Side, we gotta take this serious. So hot pot is essentially a quintessential meal, like for for any night of the week. I mean, you you literally just boil soup base, and mm-hmm. you um, basically have ingredients of all different types. Mm-hmm. And that soup base, um, you know, it originated. You know, Sichuan hot pot is probably the most famous, but. Um, you know, half of it can be spicy, half of it could be not spicy, and then you mm-hmm. can just dip um, all of the different ingredients in there to like cook it wh- mm-hmm. while you're sitting there, and then eat whatever it is that you decide to make, and it's it is awesome. And then at the end, you have like this amazing broth that has all of these different ingredients that are boiled in it, and the soup is amazing. Okay. All yeah. Right. All right. You gotta check it out. We'll make Omar a vegan. Uh- <laughs> Are you vegan? They actually have vegan hot pot. Okay. All right. It's really just whatever you decide to put in it. The Lower East Side in Chinatown is a haven for all kinds of eaters. Mm-hmm. You can find vegan stuff, vegetarian things, gluten free things. Okay. All right. So I'm going to take you guys Sounds up like on that a tour. Team field trip. Yeah. I'm going to say my favorites enough. are 99 Favorite Taste and Little Sheep. Okay. <laughs> Bushra is looking Enjoy. at me and she's shaking her head and she's saying yes for little sheep. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, and the last question uh, to bring this all home. Sum up the work that you do. We usually say in one word, but you can take more than one word for this. Uh, Pedro, let's start with you. Sum up the work you do. Connections. Mm-hmm. I really love how we can make so many different connections. All right. Assembly member. Advocacy. I love it. Yeah, I really think that it's important that every single person who is um, a public servant advocates for their community. Yeah, very well said. And before we go, uh, Pedro, where can people find more information about uh, the Tenement Museum? We have a podcast too. Oh, hey. okay. So there you go. Shameless plug here. No, plug away. Uh, How to be American, a tenant museum podcast. I brought some flyers for you guys. Uh, and we also have a great website too, tenement.org. Wonderful. I love that that name, How to Be American. Because like, can I tell a little story? Yes. My mom, when, um, when I was running for office, my parents were very scared actually. They were actually very frightened for me. Um, because this is not something that people usually do mm-hmm. <laughs> in my community. And uh, as you can tell, there's so few of us. Um, but I, I think that, um, you know, when my mom was actually out there uh, door knocking with me, actually participating, she said to me something that's so profound and sticks with me to this day. And she said, you know, I just realized when you're do- while, you- while we're doing this, why it is so important for us to vote. Because mm-hmm. that is the one thing that we do that signifies that we are American, that we are American. We can, we can, we can take that power and we can vote. And that was like the difference for her. Like she, she changed in her thinking about what we were doing. Very well said. We're going to let your mom get the last word. (laughs) As a mother, I know mother's love. So um, thank you. I do agree that that's a very profound and an important lesson that you're teaching uh, you're teaching and, and the entire city is getting behind. So thank you both for coming in. Thank you. And we look forward to continuing our work with you. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. 
That's this episode of Prep Talk. If you like what you heard, you can listen anytime online or through your favorite RSS feed. Until next time, stay safe and prepared. 